When you hear the phrase first-gen American, what comes to mind? Oscar Velasquez, a first-generation American, wants to enlighten your mind to everyday life as a first-gen in today's America. There is a perception in today's society, and Oscar is going to dive in and dissect the reality of being a first-gen. Join Oscar and his guests from all walks of life, discussing their trial and tribulations in today's America. Now your host, Oscar Velasquez. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Friday. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of First Gen American. Our special guest today, a son of a Haitian immigrants, a freelance journalist, has worked on several local and national news brands since 2006. A variety of worthy news assignments, such as the Duke lacrosse sex scandal, the Boston Marathon bombing, the trials of Whitey Bulger. He's a member of the National Association of Black Journalists, a native to Montreal, Canada, and has just become a U.S. citizen in 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm welcome to Romy Camille. Oscar, it's so good to be here with you, and it is so good to be back here. Um, it's where I started, started my media career a long time ago in high school. We're so grateful to have you and to, um, to be sharing your story today. I mean, you just became a U.S. citizen, man. How do you feel? Yeah, it feels great. Um, you know, going through that process of becoming a U.S. citizen and naturalization, it's... Um, you know, you, you think about where you come from, where you're going. And, um, you know, I, I, so to backtrack, I've been in Nashua since 1996. Uh, I was in the fifth grade when we moved here, but I was a U.S. resident two years prior to that. My dad's American. My mom's, well, they're naturalized American. My mom's naturalized Canadian. And I could have become a citizen years ago but just that whole you know pride where you come from you know i'm canadian and all that right. and it wasn't until recently i said yeah i think it's it's time in and especially in the way things are happening right. uh in the climate uh of our country as well as you know opportunities that i've had to turn down in the past because i wasn't a u.s citizen and i said now's the time to do it um and so filed the paperwork waited 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 and next thing you know, raise the right hand, and here we are. Congratulations! Thank man. you. That is, um, I know, I know a lot of family members that that go through that process, and it's just the the process could be tremendous, you know. But the sense that I, I've actually got to experience our co-host Manny Ramirez today in the studio, good friend of mine, I actually got to witness his ceremony, and that was something special to me because I know the trials that he went through to, mm -hmm. to be able to get that and the struggles and the sense of being unease, you know, and, and just going by your everyday life. You, you don't know is today the last day that I'm here in the United States, you know? And sure. Tell me, was there any culture shock uh, coming from Canada to the United States? You know, no, not really. I mean, besides, and I lived in Quebec, I lived in Quebec and Ontario before moving to the States. Mm -hmm. Not really. Um, I mean, besides the whole language thing. Right. Um, How was that adjustment? So I was I was a kid when I moved here. Um, and I always thought, you know, I'm going to speak French. I don't really care to learn English. But I kind of, I was kind of thrown in, immersed into the English language. Um, and part of that time of immersement was living in, in Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. Um, my parents enrolled me in school. We moved to Ontario. It was like 93, 94, 94. And our school, the school that I went to was English and French. And you could be either be enrolled in a French uh, class, French immersion or English. And so yeah, make it easy on me. They en enrolled me in, in French. And so we drove home. We got, we, my dad put the car in park. I remember this vividly. And then he put the car in reverse and we went back. He goes, I forgot something. He went into the school and we're like, what did he forget? And he came back and he goes, I've enrolled you in English. So for a 10 year old kid, like not knowing, you know, just a few words of English. Hi, how are you? Right. You know, that's like a lot. 
and he goes, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, you better start, you know. I will say Hooked on Phonics and PBS help me. <laughs> Hooked on Phonics. Hooked on Phonics help <laughs> oh, me a lot. Man. Hooked okay. on Phonics, PBS, and watching the news. Uh, you know, I, I've been a news junkie since I was a kid. So watching, um, you know, we always had the news on in the house. Yeah. So um, that helped me, you know, just practice the English language. So right. people are now, you know, they say, oh, you're not from here. You're from there or you're from Canada or you're French. English is not your first language. You speak English so well. And it's like. Yeah, it takes lots of practice. And I think being younger yeah. um, really helps learning a new language. I, I, I know we have a, some similarities, you know, and, and when you and I was born here and I was born in Brooklyn. Um, and the fact that, you know, as soon as you said hooked on phonics, PBS kids, it just brings me back to that childhood, because mm-hmm. even though we come from a different background, mm-hmm. we have so much similarities, you know, and um it just hits home because I know the struggles like hooked on phonics for me, even though I was born here and English is my first language. I know that the educational system, uh, the, the approach was, uh, he's Hispanic. So ESL, right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, um, I know that I had to adapt real quick into adjusting. And And for many of, uh, you know, our parents as, as, you know, being first generation Mm -hmm. in this country, Mm -hmm. you know, at home, um, English may not be spoken at home, even though that's the language outside. But at home, you know, growing up, French was, well, it was Creole. Haitian, my parents are from Haiti. Mm-hmm. Creole first or French. Um, or Creole at home. Creole at home, French outside. Right. And then when we moved to Ontario and later, um, you know, here in the United States, in New Hampshire, it was Creole at home. English, or then it became English at home, like English, 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 because I want to make sure that everybody knows the language. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we need to switch it up to Creole. It's like, it would be a little a little frustrating because it's like, all right, now we got to switch gears and got to speak Creole. Uh, and then after a while, it's like, you know, because there are not that many Haitians in at the time yeah. here. After a while, it's like, do I really want to sit, speak the language, my home language? the native language with only my parents. That gets a little exhausting after a while. Like, I want to be able to speak with a friend. It's like, we can't do that. Right. It wasn't until, I think, the ninth grade I had somebody from, you know, same heritage. I'm like, oh, you're Haitian? Okay, we could speak our, like... Connection. Like, yeah, exactly, which was great. What, what was the struggle that you can remember um, your parents migrating from Haiti to, to Canada? That's a good question. I, I can't... Um, it could, be, it could be struggles. It could be joy. What's what's Because that's a big transition. I it mean. is a big transition. And, you know, my mom, um, she emigrated. She came, and I always tell this story, and she kind of is like, well, yeah, that happened, but I think you're over-dramatizing it. But it's a big deal. My mom, right. like, came to the Americas with just an overnight bag mm-hmm. and, like, a little shopping bag, and that's all she had. Yeah. And, um, you know, she... Um, her, my grandfather was like, you need to go. You just need to go. Right. You have your chance to go to Canada. You have a chance to, you know, make a life out of yourself. And she did that. Um, I feel, I feel that. I yeah. feel that in your voice. Cause that resonates, man. I, I, I know, um, uh, that, that the shopping bag and less than a dollar in your yep. pocket and transitioning, like, this is why we're here mm-hmm. to, to talk about these stories, to to make sure that we we are educating the people that just feel that we're coming here in a sense of just to trying to take over instead of adapting and uh, collaborating, you know. Right. Um. So, you know, God bless your family for taking that leap and, and that struggle. Thank you. And um, I mean, you you have such an amazing background. Um, how did it feel uh, being placed? outside of school um and did you have to hide your heritage um you know because of the whole you know talking in creole at home and then adapting to english and then you know speaking french when you when you came um i will make it I will make it clear that i i will not hide who i am mm-hmm. um it doesn't matter where i'm at i always say i'm haitian i'm yeah. canadian and people get confused like wait 
you're from Haiti? Like, no, no, my parents are from Haiti. Yeah. But you said you're Haitian. Like, yeah, like, it's like you saying you're Italian or you saying you're Dominican, but you were born in America. You're right. I'm Haitian. I'm also Canadian. I'm also French Canadian because I'm from Quebec. Uh, and I'm also proud New Hampshire. Like, I, I will go anywhere in the country and I, I love my home state, even though I've been, you know, I wasn't born here. Uh-huh. Uh, New Hampshire is home. So I proudly represent the New Hampshire Granite State. Excellent, man. So, you know, having an amazing background and and growing, what made you get into journalism? I, hmm. You know, news was always on in the house, but there are particular events in my life that always resonate. And I remember writing about this a few years ago when I was part of like a fellowship program uh, right out of school in New Orleans. I remember writing about um, the Haitian, the brief, brief period of time when Haiti was occupied by the junta, you know, by the military regime. Mm-hmm. So Jean-Bertrand Aristide was, became uh, president and then he wasn't president. And I remember the day that it happened. It was around my birthday. Um, in 1991 and my parents had the radio on they had the Haitian it was Montreal the Haitian radio station and they had it on and it was somebody on the phone talking and I'm like who are you people talk listening to and you know I'm a kid like all right we're gonna you know I'm gonna play with the baby my sister we're gonna do you know play with toys or whatever and they're just like shh can you quiet we're trying to listen to something and just seeing the way my parents are interacting and just that concern and listening. And then the days that followed, like watching on, you know, again, news hour on PBS or the local, you know, TV stations in Montreal and Quebec, looking at that and just realizing this is important. And my parents would go out, they went out to New York for a big March. Um, I went on a March with them once in, in, in Montreal, uh, in front of the federal building. Um, when Aristide came out to Montreal to speak, we went out to that too. Um, seeing these types of, that was that first event. And I was always gravitated by that. And just, just seeing, you know, the reporters on TV. And even like when I was a kid, like, oh, the, how, how, did they, how does that work? So I was always gravitated to that. So there was that event. And then like all these major events, uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, just kind of, you know, I love history and I want it to be part of, and I always tell people, journalists are the first draft writers of history. Right. And I've always wanted to be part of that. You know, transitioning from the 90s to the uh, early 2000s, that was, a, that was a big moment in our life, you know, 2011, um, uh, 2001, 2001 9-11, and... Um, I mean, it was a it was a dramatic transition for us, and I think that to be a part of that in the early stage. And I remember I was I was um, I was here. I was at this. I wasn't at this station. I wasn't at the station. I was in school, mm-hmm. but I was an employee of the station in high school when nine eleven happened. Wow. Um, and just seeing the way folks are back then were reacting. Um, you know, obviously another event in life that just kind of realized like, Oh my God, we need to be paying attention. That kind of has shaped, shaped, you know, the way my career went. I know that your parents, um, you were, you kind of took this role into journalism early in school. How, how did your uh, family feel about your your career path? Um, I, I feel like they, they always knew that this was something that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always, I mean, I have other interests, uh, but this has always been something that I've, been interested in doing um and even even now like you know a year almost a year ago um you know i transitioned i was laid off and trying to figure out and and try to figuring out the next chapter for me which is something that is evolving even as we speak now um you know my my passion for storytelling and journalism is there even if i decide to say i think i may do something else um it's, it will always be there. I will always be a journalist. Excellent. Hey, guys, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Gen American, our special guest, Romy Camille. Uh, Romy, so I know that we have Manny here and we have Romy. You know, 
two countries side by side with you know a French a French background and a and and a background from Spain. Um, what are the what are the similarities that you see within in the Dominican culture that you see within the Haitian culture and and it could be within a dish or traditions you know. That's a great question. <laughs> that is a great question. You know. <laughs> The island of Hispanola is one island. I mean, there might be a line separated down right the middle, right. but it's one island. And I never understood why the west side of the island had beef with the east side of the island, and then the, the east side of the island had beef with the west side. I just never understood that. Um, and you could, like, growing up, it was like, oh, you know, those people over there. And then you talk to the people from over there, like, oh, well, those people over there. And then there are yeah. some people like, yeah, we're cool. Like, you know, y'all make me make, make rice a little different, but it's still the same. <laughs> it's still the same. The process, the process is still the same. So, um, you know, it's a beautiful island. Both countries beautifully exactly. rich, rich. It, it's and it comes down to to resources. That's pretty what it comes pretty much what it comes down to. And then population of people like that too. Yeah. So. But I mean, historically, you want to look back at the way, um, you know, we were talking about this off air. You know, the colonization, the way colonization happened. You know, the Spaniards and the French, and obviously, I think at one point the Dutch were involved too in in uh, Dile Island. You look at the way. Spaniards colonized their nations versus the French. Um, totally different, right? Uh, you look at the way, I mean, Haiti was the first nation in the Western Hemisphere to revolt and led these other revolutions. And you see the effects of how France, uh, you know, imposed this albatross of a debt to this nation, right? which had major repercussions centuries later. You could see how it has affected that nation. So I'm going to leave it at that. But, I mean, both both nations, beautiful. You know, with uh, the latest current events that we're dealing with, I know that we feel some type of oppression uh, because of government control and this is kind of something that, you know, as Hispanics, we don't talk about. And I feel like in, in order to be able to get into that topic and, and, and be better, we have to adjust and recognize that internally, we have to recognize some of our uh, defects, you know? Um, did you ever feel some type of disconnect or maybe prejudice towards the Hispanic community? Um, because you know you're coming from Haiti and, and African American origin, and also I, this question goes to Manny: um, Did you ever feel a sense like because of, you know Dominican Republic is next to Haiti, just like oh no, you know um, we we want to disconnect from Haiti a little bit because you know of their color of skin and you, vice versa. You know, I uh, I was in uh, Santo Domingo in. 2010, four days after the Haiti uh, or earthquake in Haiti. And it was my first, actually, no, it was my second time in DR. Actually, I've only been to DR twice, so I've been, yeah, that was my second time there. And I noticed right away, like, it's the same island, but it looks different, and right. it feels different. And it smells different. No, it smells the same. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying by the food and, you know, the... Yeah, no, nah, I mean, slightly subtle, but... um. I was just impressed. I'm like, wow, they have timers on their, their lights. Like, like wow. that counts down when the light changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, wow, this, like, it just has a nice, it looks like a nice Caribbean, it's a nice Caribbean island. So is, I mean, uh, countries, so is Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some subtleties when I, and obviously not being fluent in Spanish. Uh, you know, I speak un poquito espanol, like I could get by a little bit. Okay. Just that struggle. To just even go to exchange money, to mm-hmm. buy supplies. I was doing logistics for a media organization, a big media organization, those days that I were I was in the DR. I don't know if it was a language barrier. I don't know if it was because I'm black, but you could sense just subtlety. But then at the same time, you and it could be the person, you got the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
people would be like, all right, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Um, and that's, that's what humanity is about. Right. It's helping people. So, but I did get a sense, um, it was on my way out, leaving just that sense of like, well, that's Haiti. I don't care about Haiti. Like I care about the Domin- Republica of Dominica. Like yeah. I, I'm like, really? Like, okay, that's, that's fine. Like they could stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. And it's like, really? Why? I feel the same way. I mean, I, I, I like I've always kind of struggled with that. I've seen uh, tons of documentaries based on like all the injustices that happened throughout, you know, throughout the last few centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like, why? You know what I mean? Like we're all in the same in the same piece of land. You right. Know? Like we need to share it. Right. But know? even and even I mean, I was seeing stuff happening and I'd worked on stories following the earthquake of that sort of interaction and racism and violence imposed on um, Haitians and black Dominicans, which is just on un- just unreal. And not that, you know, the government there is basically, or, well, the past government there, because now the Dominican Republic has a new president mm-hmm. and new leadership um, was endorsing that. And it's like, really, you mean to tell me you're going to, remove I mean so for people listening they were doing this so if you were um, born in the Dominican Republic and that's all you've known the Dominican Republic and you were black uh, or your parents were let's say born in Haiti or your grandparents were born in Haiti they would basically say well you're not Dominican anymore we're going to send you to Haiti yes like what 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 do you mean I've been I'm born here like that's like that's, That's like saying you, you were born in Brooklyn, uh, saying, oh, by the way, um, yeah. You're no longer welcome in your house. You're no longer welcome here. Yeah. We're going to put you on a bus and we're going to put you on a plane and you're going back home. But th- this is my own. What are, what are you talking about? So now you have this situation where you have folks being placed into a different country that they have no ties to. And you're seeing this not only in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. You're seeing this. Uh, I have a colleague, a uh, fellow colleague who's covered this in his community in Rhode Island, Cambodian. Um, you're seeing that everywhere where people are like, well, I was, I mean, I was brought here as a baby. That's all I know. This is the only place that I know. Um, and it's, it's that Western conditioning. That's what it like, basically all, all the Dominican past leaders, they have that kind of like, um, you know, if you are like, like black people don't like, don't belong with like the Western like civilizations or something like that. And um, that kind of like just kind of grew on, you know, on the Dominican population. And that's why you see kind of like this weird animosity towards like, if, even if you're fully Dominican, if you, even if you don't have any ties to to Haitian, that's kind of like a derogatory term. Right. I mean, you you look at towards, towards like, like legit black Dominicans. I mean, you, you look know. at Sammy Sosa, and I mean, we, right. you know, we, I mean, we could, we could even wow. chase another squirrel okay. where, where the brother like literally took white bleaching, you know, cream to lighten <laughs> yeah. it, and and it's like, skin. wait a minute, why would you do that to yourself? And that's another conversation for together. Is that the reason why there's a sense of disconnection, disconnect with the involvement of Hispanics and the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter movement? Do you feel? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm the best sorry. person. To... Can you, can you uh, repeat that again? Sorry. So I'm, I'm saying, you know, we right now we're at war. Black, brown. Period. Yeah. Period. Do you think that that's why there's a disconnect? Like our movement, instead of being united, is more like, uh, we're not going to get involved in that. Because of, of, of our internal segregation within our own people. Because we were just talking about deporting our own people in Latin America. Yeah. And we, we strive to become U.S. citizens, have that American dream. All of a sudden, we're fighting the same war in a different land. And we're like, well, I'm here now. That's not our problem. I don't necessarily think that it's that. I think that... There's so many like stressors for us to begin with 
that we don't want to begin to even start like figuring out like what to do for ourselves um because they're like the base like we talked about this in last in last last week the basic needs for us are not met we still are like struggling to just keep up so for me to like already struggling to keep up to now pay attention to this like race war that is happening like it's it's difficult for me to go out there like you know what i don't have a dime like to my name but i'm still gonna go on on the street and 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 protest like majority of the people are not gonna say that right i need to worry about going to work i need to worry about feeding my kids i need Mm -hmm. to worry about any one of these like basic needs that i need for myself and my family i don't have time to like get involved in what's going on so i think the majority it could be that i mean i'm i'm not like professional at this so i I have no idea i'm just kind of just thinking it out loud um but it's your personal opinion whatever yeah exactly um but i do think that is there is still a slightly a divide there uh within our own communities where like we still feel like you know like sometimes you'll see the videos and us i think everybody in this room like that's disgusting Mm -hmm. and there's still some some of us that'll be like well he shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done the same, you know, like, so I think there's still some that disconnects there. This, so I think it's a bit of both. Right. Well, you know, I, um, I'm no expert. I'm no, I'm not an academic, but I will say this. I think overall, we need to have more empathy. Mm. I think overall, if we had more empathy in things and just taking a moment to just kind of listen to one another, um, and I think I think the way things are happening now with in the digital age, especially with social media, um, has kind of accelerated this type of, of tension. It's always been there, but it's been excel- accelerated like multiple folds. It doesn't matter if it's real or fake. Whoever puts it out first, that's that's what it is. And so I think we need to step back and have some empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think at the same time too, you know. Um, having the empathy and having the education, you know, as as you know, immigrants or first gens or however you want to call it, you know, I don't know about y'all, but in my family, education was key, right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, education, Absolutely. education, education, yes. and uh, that was one thing like that was always stressed for me. It was like, go read a book, go read something. There are no more books in balance. Go read a magazine. Go read this. Go. Read, go read something, which is how we got out of, you know, trouble. I don't say trouble because we weren't allowed to really go anywhere uh, <laughs> in our house. It was like school home, school home. Like, I don't know about you guys. And what's what's crazy, not growing up, you talk to other Haitian families, other kids, your folks. And it's like, oh, your parents did that too? Like, oh, um, your friends would, would uh, ask you to come over. Oh, do you want to come over? And I would be like, no. No, I, I'd automatically say no because I know my mom would be Sleepovers like, Sleepovers no. were non-existent. Nope, not a, non-existent. <laughs> non-existent. You know, I talk about this with my wife. It's like, oh, would you allow your kid to go over your friend's house? I'm like, nope. I wasn't allowed. They're not allowed either. Mm. <laughs> and actually, we had that conversation. Like, before we were married, we had that conversation. That we had deep-rooted conversations about why. Uh, and our deacon was like, I never thought of it that way. Thank you for enlightening me on that, which I won't get into. But, you know, um, yeah. Speaking about marriage, uh, we're both mm-hmm. we're both uh, in a interrela- uh, interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, with everything that's going on in, in America, you know, and, and, and being married to uh, Caucasian women. Um, has that put some type of, I wouldn't say divide because we're in a union but more of like an unease topics of what's going on, you know, like uh, are people being deported, you know, killed, police brutality. Is that a touchy subject to that? Or these discussions that you have with your wife? They're not touchy subjects. I mean, they're hard subjects to talk about. Right. But these are conversations that we have in our household all the time. Um, 
first and foremost, it's always good to have a partner that is an ally. Mm. Um, Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely. And having somebody that will go to bat for you as you will go to bat for them. Uh, so we have these conversations. Um, I have them with my in-laws. And, you know, it's it's good to have them. It's good to have somebody that, you know, respects and understands and, you know, they get it. Um, initially, when we were first dating, you know, you get you get the looks from the public yeah. and you tend to tune them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of something that I had to like resolve within myself, mm-hmm. especially, you know, it's not just the whole black, white type of thing. Right. It's a different culture, too. You know, I was raised this way. She was raised this way. But, like, as, again, being that first, you, in this country, you have to live, you know, the way your parents, our parents grew up, and then having to adjust to the way of life in America. Right is different from the way of life from where they grew up. So they're imposing the old ways with your, you know, and it's like, well, you know, we may do it this way. They may do it out this way here, but we do it this way at home. Um, You know, those, you know, that's that family value. So dealing with that, um, you know, the sleepover thing, for example, we don't have kids now. We hopefully will have some eventually, but that's the, you know, these are the conversations that we have, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's all about having a conversation. I mean, from the the kind of the conversations that you have, you know, talking about being in a swinging pendulum, you you have family back home that said that says, "Oh, he's he's dating a white woman. Uh, congratulations, you made it." And then other family members that say, or friends, or the stereotypes that says, "Oh, it's probably because of the credit." You know, there's there's always a negative stigma. And a positive one between being in an interracial marriage. And I feel that we're starting to drift away from that. But I think that there's still a lot that society sees. Oh, there is. Um, and you just have to manage to tune, tune it all out. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you cannot help who you fall in love with. Right. You know, I, when I was younger, I was like, well, I, I think I always thought, you know, I'm going to marry somebody that's X, Y, and Z. And then, or X, Y, and Z, and I met my wife. Mm-hmm. And the way we met, you know, we met years ago. We met, met in 2004. We didn't, you know, we weren't an item until a few years later. Um, and we were on and off until we got married two years ago. But that's, that's my, that's, that's my other half. That's my, that's my, we're a team. That's a beautiful thing. It is absolutely. What are the what are some of the what are some of the uh, quirks or, or habits that or moments that you guys laugh about uh, within like having cultural differences? <laughs> uh, oh, there's so many to think of. Let's like see. Washing the chicken before you. Cook it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. You know, I'm re- I'm responsible for that because she she does not. You know, I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> my, wife, my wife is listening right now. I'm not gonna say anything. That's something. That... Um, she... No, but you're right though. <laughs> uh, she, I, I will say, you know, we we do laugh about that. Uh, she does have seasoning packed down to a science. So you know, yeah, that's you know, I gotta check mark for that yeah so um i can't think of them i can't think i didn't have a list i should you give me a list i would have i would have been like oh this and this but (laughs) no it's all it's it's all good uh you know being a first gen i know that um the marriage is is something that i mean marriage is something that's a beautiful union and as a hispanic you know, being being thirty years old, there's a there's a stigma and a stereotype that says I should be with my second or third child and sure. my, sec- my second baby mama and you know <laughs> and I I made sure that that growing up I wanted to I wanted to, there's no right or wrong way but I I wanted to never forget about those old traditions and and kind of you know fall in line with those and 
have a sense of of unity and and how did your family react you know um when they found out that your your wife was white well we were together for a long time yeah. so I, I think if if anything they were you know they're like oh it's I'm happy that you found somebody. I mean, mm. my immediate family, right, right. Uh, my family here in, in, in the States, um, you know, very, you know, they're like encouraging and, and, you know, glad you found somebody, mm-hmm. you know, that, that likes you for who you are. And, and, th- and that's what it should be all about. Right. Right. It's, you know, kind of same background. We're from the same town. Religion's the same. That's all about for, there have been some others that I'm not as close to yeah. who, you know, are from the old country. Right. Um, you know, they look, you know, because you have that perception online, they're like, well, I don't know her, but you know, why couldn't you have gone mm. with a Haitian or how, why can you have gone with this person? It's like, and at the end of the day, it's like, I have to tune that out. Yeah. Um, I cannot let someone from thousands of miles away dictate my life. Um, my great aunt who is in Haiti said that you can't let other people from thousand miles away dictate how you live. Um, live your life. That's the way, that's my motto. Live your life. So. Amen to that. Yes. Man, journalism. Yes. Black Association Journalists. Boston Marathon, Boston bombing. Um, the Whitey Bulger. Yeah, so I've... Um... Talk to me a little bit about that background because that's interesting. Yeah, so I got my start. I really, really got my start. I mean, obviously, I was in high school when I started out. Mm-hmm. Then I left and got in college. It was in my junior year of call of, of university in North Carolina. I went to an, a historically black college, a university, North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. And a national story broke out. And... I'm going to use one of my expressions. I rose, somebody said, you need to make connections. And I rode that wave um, and made connections and made more connections and friendships. I've always established those types, sorts of relationships and continued, you know, building those relationships. Um, and that led me to my first job and my second job and my third and fourth. Um, working as you know, as a video editor or producer, um, I worked for many years as a field producer on on so many of these stories where you get the phone call from, you know, the assignment desk and said, hey, we need you to go to Waterville, Maine for a missing child. And you just get in your car and you go and you drive off and you, you know, parachute in into this community. And um, being, again, black journalist in a predominantly white area, mm-hmm. you know, um, you just have to be yourself and you do, you build your, you build relationships, you kind of just get the sourcing and the sources and then you get that information out. Um, but I will say it is a little challenging, um, right now for many of my industry colleagues. Um, I, I'm not an active, I mean, I'm freelance. I don't work for a news organization now, but, uh, I advocate for my colleagues with my work with, NABJ, which is the National Association of Black Journalists, and our local chapter, uh, the Boston Association of Black Journalists. And I also got to give a shout out to the Southern New England chapter out of Providence, too. Uh, We advocate for diversity in not only diversity in our newsrooms, uh, in hiring, you know, folks, black folks, Latino folks, Asian folks, uh, but also making sure that the coverage in out of that are coming out of these news organizations are not biased, but they're, you know, they're just mindful. Um, the only time when you see a story is when there's a crime, and it shouldn't be that way. Um, Takes, for example, for instance, I know we had talked about this earlier this week in our pre-interview. You know, NBC News had posted, uh, you know, Usain Bolt had corona, you know, had uh, COVID-19. And instead of his picture, it was of Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. And they were ripped to shred on social media, right? Um, despite everything else that's going on. Despite everything else that's going on. That happened, right? Yeah. Um, and even some of my industry colleagues were like, isn't there somebody diverse on the staff that realizes that this happened? 
uh, that this person is not this person. And as a journalist and as someone that has worked in that digital vertical, um, the former president of NEBJ, Sarah Glover, who um, is a digital person, you know, she kind of explained that this way. She's like, I'm not involved in that, but here's what could have happened. The system, the behind the scenes systems. And I know people are like rolling their eyes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know. There's an excuse. It is an excuse. It has happened. Yeah. I'm not saying that it couldn't have happened, but it has happened. But again, that part of having those sort of systems in place is, is, is having somebody that, you know, that kind of needs to fact check. Like, wait, is that really Usain Bolt or is that Kevin Hart? Like, it takes two seconds to go on, you know, Getty Images and just cross-checking mm-hmm. um, or even just, you know, there was another instance where somebody was, um, you know, where they referred uh, Kamala Harris, um, her sorority sister as a former sorority sister. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not part of those organizations, but once you're in a sorority or fraternity, you're always in the fraternity sorority. Yeah. So they're not former, they're, part of that so those types of things that you know we advocate um you know as part of nabj hey guys you're listening to first gen american with our guest romy camille uh being a black u.s citizen who works in the media what are some of the experiences you faced uh that are less welcoming or um, have have made you feel unease um you know with with broadcasting, everything that's going on, that you know, there's an op- that you feel that there could be an opportunity. I think overall we need to have, and it's not just checking a box, but there is a lack of diversity in our nation's newsrooms in the management level. Um, I've worked with many managers. Um, and some that understand it, and there are some that just that just don't understand it. And it's not to blame them or anything. They just don't have that perception. But I think there needs to be more of a movement to have a more diverse group of folks um, managing newsrooms and news or in just kind of news brands in this country. Do you believe that there, there could be inequality? Uh for both men and women of color in the media? There should be. And right now there isn't. Um, I could say that overall, I think men are being paid more than women. Um, I think it, it needs to be more than equality. It needs to be more about equity as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be part of the same playing field, mm-hmm. but you know, you need to have that equity as well. Um, and you need to be able to um, invest in your people. And if you have an organization that you know doesn't, doesn't invest or train up um, its troops, then you know what what are you what are you in, in the business for? I mean, yeah, I mean it's a business. You got to have a return on investment, but at the same time, you got to invest in your people. Do you believe that the association that you're affiliated with um, has uh, is truly benefiting the black? from uh, the black, from men and women alike? It's been around for 40 years. I would say, I would say overall, yes. I mean, um, no, or, no organization is perfect um, for sure, but definitely overall, I think um, it's, it's doing the work. Uh, with, with the sense, I know that you're, you have a, a pride and a sense of the community that you're in. Yes. Uh, what do you, what's your daily work look like? Uh, that you're collaborating with your community? So right now, uh, one of my clients is actually our neighbors to the south, uh, Tingsboro, Massachusetts. I've, uh, prior uh, going back to news, I worked there um, for a, a period of time. And that it's a, it's a unique community. It's a growing community just to the south of us. And um, that is what keeps me kind of going right now. Um, what's been interesting with everything that's been happening with COVID-19 and all these other sensitive issues that are, that are happening to see a community kind of join together and just kind of figuring it out as we go, 
and pivoting and trying to figure out, all right, how can we do this? How can we do that to keep the community safe? Uh, and even seeing, you know, students, high school students organizing a, I mean, it just was amazing to see high school students. They organized a Black Lives Matter march um, just to show support to that, you know, to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement um, was amazing. And, and they got a lot of um, criticism from that community from not overall, but just from particular folks that just didn't understand. Um, but they came out and these are high school students you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, high school graduates that came out there and they, uh, you know, attracted about 300 people, partnered with public safety and had, you know, peaceful, 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 excuse me, can't speak today, <laughs> peaceful presence, um, you know, in in the small community of Tingsboro. Just, just shows, it just shows volumes. Uh, I mean, even here in Nashua, we had, you know, if, if, you know, early this summer, we had, what, almost 2,000 people at Greeley. Just amazing to see that. That was, that's a movement that's admirable. And um, actually, uh, we have, we have a guest for next week, next Friday, uh, Jordan Thompson. He is actually the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and the and the founder for the Nashville chapter. So we're really excited to have him and and be able to keep this conversation going and shed some light into it because it deserves that. Absolutely, um, it does. And I feel like it, within the media, it's not getting too much light. Um, but I think it's our it's our duty to be able to 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 work together within a community to affect globally and to move globally. No, absolutely, I totally agree. And 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 to add to that too. Um, Media literacy is, is, is so important. Um, just having that sense of what makes, you know, a news story, a news story, or why, you know, why is it that this story isn't being covered this way or why it should be covered this way? Um, you know, that's, that's definitely important to have, especially in these times. With everything that's going on, what are the, some of the things that you're working on now, man? So, like I said earlier, uh, Tingsboro is one of my biggest uh, clients um, that's taking the chunk of my time. I'd <laughs> love to, you know, everything. It's been a year since I um, I left journalism full time and I've been able to, you know, work on some projects here and there for other organiza- organizations and brands. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I the those chapters are still kind of unwritten. Just yeah. trying to try to figure that the next step out. So, um, not to divulge a whole lot, mm-hmm. but you know, just trying to trying to figure out one day at a time. What what is what is some of the um, what are some of the passions that keep you going? You know, after being a year after you know being out of the the uh, broadcasting section, what what is it? What what drives you to keep going in your personal? Well, I, I always love telling a good story. I'm a storyteller. So uh, I love looking at other content creators that are looking at, you know, stories. Um, I love aviation. So aviation kind of keeps me driving. Um, you know, I was taking flying lessons. I stopped. Um, I did take a few um, a while back, then stopped and trying to start that up again. So hopefully, you know. Fun fact. You too. Fun fact. Um, You're close, I hear. We are both uh, taking a, a, trying to become private pilots um, at the same uh, uh, airport in Air Direct. And uh, I'm excited for you, man. I see you up there. And I, it's it, they say it's like riding a bike, but if you don't ride, <laughs> if you, it's, um, I admire you. How, how far away are you? So I'm, I'm very early stages towards yeah. the ticket. So, you know, about you know, 11 hours. So it was like on yeah. and off. And I know you're close. You're at thir- you know, 30 hours yeah. or whatever. So, um, if some people say, well, you're only 10 hours away. That's uh, 10 hours. is It's a lot. And, 10 hours is a lot. Yeah. And if you don't go consistently, like right. I'm talking about every other week, it, you know, you've pre-flight check. Yep. You know, it doesn't, there's a in the individual I need to introduce you. He's, he used to work in Nashua brother, fellow brother. Yeah. Uh, he got his pilot's license in two weeks. Really, he slammed it out in two weeks. Um, yeah, it's just he's amazing, 
amazing person. I follow him on, on social and I'm like, wow, like two weeks. And he's, he got his private, I think in April, March, really? March, April. And now he's going for an instrument. Wow. Um, so I, one thing I will add to that is one of the best things about, that I love about aviation or general aviation is that once you get up there, you know, I don't have to worry about what's going on. What's yeah. going on. You're on in control. Ground. Yeah. I You're mean, in the seat. Yeah, it's just you, you, the airplane, the instructor. Yeah. And what's around you, you know? When you're up there, for me, it's a sense of, like, everything stops. Yes. And you're looking down, and you're just like, I'm up here. And I, you can go anywhere. You could. You can go anywhere, and just that sense of freedom. There's that sense when, you know, a mile yeah. runway will take you anywhere, yeah. you know? Um, it's you in the airplane and making sure you keep that attitude or, you know, making sure that it's in check and level. Um, and your mind is thinking of all these other things, but at the same time, it's like, no, just relax and keep it steady dude thank you for coming in and sharing yeah um so anybody that has joined uh you're listening to first gen american where can people reach you um i'm on twitter roni camille r-o-n-y-c-a-m-i-l-l-e instagram same and uh camille digital excellent thank you very much for sharing and joining my pleasure we are, are excited to share your story and for you to be able to to share as well and um thanks so much for having me thank you man i i I wish you the best in your endeavors and uh god bless man thank Thank you you. for sharing appreciate it uh so next week guys we have black lives matter movement jordan thompson and we'll be discussing about uh what's next for the chapter and uh what's been going on and we're kind of we 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 kind of want to not derail from the show, but kind of give uh, our brothers and sisters some light and uh, and give them some support that they deserve. Also, you can follow us on social media, on, face, on Facebook, First Gen American. Thank you to our special guest, uh, Roni. And we have our co-host, Manny. Yes, the guys are in the background. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have special guests lined up next week. And uh, thank you for everybody that's listening.